I've been success today because I had a friend who believed in me and I didn't have the heart to let him down. Those are the words of our 16th president. They are also the words that suggest success stories are not written in a bubble. They are fostered by a community trust and through service to others. These are the stories you're about to hear, told by the voices who are living them. Born on a dairy farm up in western Wisconsin, a colorful place called the Kickapoo Valley. And uh, 200 acres, only 90 of it tillable, the rest of it was straight up and down, woods and pasture, and uh, some of the 90 we shouldn't have farmed. I tipped over too many loads of hay to say that shouldn't have been farmed, but uh, that's where it started, and I uh, milked cows by hand until electricity came to the farm in 1948. I'm Bill Curtis, and this is the Lincoln Laureates podcast series. Each episode spotlights an individual bestowed with the Order of Lincoln. First radio job was August of 1952 at a radio station 17 miles from the farm, So, and it was a daytimer. I would get up in the morning, milk cows, change clothes, go to town, be a radio announcer, and get home in time to help milk cows at night. These conversations are presented by the Lincoln Academy of Illinois, established in 1964 to recognize and honor leaders who have contributed to the betterment of humanity. So uh, over the years, we, I think, evolved from just an agricultural information program to a consumer education program. In this episode of the Lincoln Laureates, we're reminded how a single voice has moved and motivated our most vital industry. For more than half a century, American farm families stopped their chores daily to hear Orion Samuelson on the noon show from WGN Radio. This kid from Wisconsin's Kickapoo River Valley has called Illinois home for more than six decades. Orion has traveled the globe as the voice of agriculture, counseling 40-plus nations on Illinois farming. His mantra is quite simply, you can't dream big enough. Orion Samuelson received the Order of Lincoln Medallion in 2001. Our guest host for this conversation is award-winning broadcast journalist Jim Bohannon. And to think, Orion, it all began for a kid on a dairy farm near Ontario, Wisconsin. How did that happen? My vocational agriculture teacher said, you have a pretty good speaking voice, uh, so maybe you might want to think about talking about agriculture rather than doing agriculture. And he was absolutely right, because talking about agriculture a lot easier than doing agriculture in these days. A lot easier. You know, I've often wondered, you obviously weren't born with that voice. Was there a time in middle school when you began to sound like this? <laughs> well, I went to a one-room, eighth-grade country school, and I did sound like that. But after talking to my BOAG teacher, suddenly my voice started to change. And so... I put it to good use, and uh, 60 years at WGN was a lot of fun. 42 countries I visited and talked to, I think, nine presidents. Never thought a cow milker on a Wisconsin dairy farm would have the opportunity to do something like that. I hear you were a champion cow milker. Is that correct? Yes, indeed. Undefeated at the uh, Illinois State Fair. I think I've probably participated in about 15 or 20 cow milking contests 
and retired undefeated. Do you recall the first time you said to yourself, you know, I could make a living at this radio thing? <laughs> I think that was when I found out that I wasn't going to be able to farm because I'm sure that a leg disease that prevented me from walking when I came out of eighth grade, I'm sure that my dad had plans to pass the dairy farm on to me, but he realized that I wouldn't be able to do the farming. And so thanks to the Bovag teacher and my parents, I managed to find another alternative and was very lucky finally to end up at WGN Radio in Chicago. Uh, tell us about the day you arrived in Illinois. What were your first impressions? I drove down from Green Bay to meet Ward Qual, who was the manager of WGN Radio at that time. And I, of course, got on the expressway traffic in my blue Chrysler New Yorker. That was quite an automobile for me. And uh, I remember driving with the traffic, wondering, is this what life is going to be like for the next few years? You are a, a farm broadcaster, but of course you were far more than that. You were a broadcaster. One of your first assignments at the WGN, in fact, was as the MC of the National Barn Dance. So what was that like? That was the fulfillment of a dream because as a boy on the farm, we listened to the WLS National Barn Dance every Saturday night. And now suddenly here I am on stage with Dolph Hewitt and Bob Atcher and all of the names of the barn dance that uh, I had listened to on radio. Plus, on the barn dance show, we had the funniest person I've ever known, Red Blanchard, who uh, was our storyteller and our joke teller on the barn dance. And I still remember some of the lines uh, from working with Red one line that I remembered, uh, nobody could cook like my mother. Army came close, but nobody could cook like my mother. <laughs> Wonderful. Of course, sometimes we're on the air and we're doing one thing, and events suddenly force us to make a sharp turn. And uh, you were at the microphone on a Friday afternoon, November 22nd, 1963. And it wasn't your principal duty at that moment to note that. Uh, President Kennedy was on a campaign trip that happened to be to Dallas, Texas, but suddenly came a terrible news bulletin. Tell us about what transpired on the air there and your first thought when you saw that terrible bulletin. Let's back in the days before we had computers and before we had all of the tools of technology we have today. So I'm in the middle of doing the weather forecast for the Midwest on my noon show, which was a daily occurrence on the station. And suddenly Gene Doretti, I'll never forget the name, Gene Doretti, our newsman, came in and laid in front of me a yellow teletype paper. I'm still reading the weather forecast, but I glanced over at it and I thought, this is not a funny joke to play on somebody who's on the air because I glanced over and it said, President Kennedy has been shot in Dallas. And I looked up at the control room to the engineer, Bob Seibold, and to Gene Doretti, the newsman, and I quickly saw 
this was real. It was not a joke that we would play on a person on the air. And so I read the bulletin. And then what do you do? You've just announced that the president has been shot. Do I go back to reading the weather forecast? Because we couldn't play music until we had a record turner, a union musician who would play music or any records. And so I kept talking and doing the weather forecast. And finally, I got the signal that we had music. But we had to depend on Walter Cronkite to let us know that the president was dead because we didn't have computers that would give us that information. And so I remember that I'm doing the forecast, glancing at the TV set we had in the room. And finally, I saw Walter Cronkite come in. It was just a terrible day. And uh, as a broadcaster, it's one that I've never forgotten, but wish I would never have had to do. Lincoln laureates are selected for service to others. And of course, as the voice of the American farmer, you've uh, been in service to an entire segment of our economy, an entire industry. Do you recall when it first hit you, the responsibility you had right there in front of that microphone? I think when I arrived at WGN, I began to realize that my voice was suddenly larger than uh, the radio station I was working at in Green Bay, Wisconsin, because I would try to justify farmers' activities by talking about how hard they worked. And they got up early and worked longer and later than anybody else. And one Sunday morning at church, one of the listeners came up to me and said, you know, I know farmers work, but we work too. And farmers at least get to spend their days with their children because they're working together. And so he said, I think you better change your message. That was a good lesson for me. And from that point on, I think I realized that I could work on behalf of all of the people, whether they consume the products of agriculture or produce the products of agriculture. One casually glancing at your resume might say, uh, gee, I'll bet uh, Orion has seen a lot of farms in Illinois and Iowa and wherever. And they would be right, but they would never guess that you'd had dinner at the White House that uh, you had met every uh, president from Harry Truman to Donald Trump. You'd been to 42 countries. You met Nikita Khrushchev and Fidel Castro. How did that all happen for a Wisconsin farm boy? I don't know. I really don't, because I could never have dreamed sitting at a cow milking stool on a cold January morning in Wisconsin that I would have the opportunity to do what I did. But the WGM call letters were powerful and enabled me to get interviews with a lot of people, traveled to 42 countries, including Russia and China and Cuba and the countries of South America. And it gave me the opportunity I would never have had if I would have still been milking cows in Wisconsin. I recall that word that John Kennedy made during the Wisconsin primary in 1960 when he was running for president. And he had an early morning gathering someplace and the audience applauded politely. And he said, I can't help thinking that I'm feeling a bit like a dairy cow this morning because I'm very appreciative of a warm hand on a cold morning. I was appreciative of that same warm hand on the cold cow in the morning. And glad I didn't have to spend my lifetime doing that, but I had the opportunity to learn a great deal 
about what I eventually did. And that was doing more than talking about agriculture. I had lived agriculture and had the opportunity to see it throughout the world. To go to China, that was shortly after Richard Nixon uh, established communications with China. To go to Russia and to go to Cuba and to go to the 42 other countries, I would never have had that opportunity if I would still be milking cows. So I never forget that. Of all those places that you visited, uh, which place made the biggest impression on you? Well, my background is Norwegian. All of my grandparents came from Norway to settle in the hills of western Wisconsin. And I eventually got back to Norway to visit the farm where my grandparents lived. But I was very impressed by the United Kingdom. The sense of uh, history in the United Kingdom impressed me a great deal. And one of the features on my television show was a country church salute because I grew up in a country church. And so I decided, you know, country churches don't get much attention. So I devoted a minute on every week of my television show to talk about country churches. I wish I would have been smart enough to keep an album of those country churches. Speaking of making an album, is it true that you had a hit record or two? Well, yes, I did have a hit record thanks to Uncle Bobby, Bob Collins. We sat down in a recording studio and with my Norwegian background, I started on the stage before I got into broadcasting doing a mimic of uh, Yogi Jorgensen. He did it in his Norwegian brogue, and that was my first appearance on stage, was singing Scandinavian songs that uh, Yogi Jorgensen had put on Capitol Records. Uh, <laughs> that's wonderful. Now then, of all those presidents you've had a chance to talk to, was there something about uh, agriculture and the farm families you were compelled to share with them when you had their ear? I always had to talk about farm legislation because farmers didn't think their voices would be heard a great deal off the farm. And so I always talked to farmers and their families about uh, the opportunities out there and the fact that we were producing food for the world, shipping it to the world. And I always wanted to make sure that farmers and their families knew that so that they would work to make their voice heard when the Secretary of Agriculture was getting ready to write a new farm bill. And I had the opportunity to work with several secretaries on farmer meetings where the subject was, tell us what you want in a farm bill. And we'd talk to farmers and ask them what they wanted. My favorite secretary of agriculture, Earl Butts, one of the best storytellers I've ever heard, Harry Truman and Dwight Eisenhower, I would say were two of my favorite presidents, but I liked them all. I had the opportunity to uh, go to dinner at the White House. It was just fascinating to get to know these people a little bit. I didn't spend a lot of time with the presidents but I managed to get my questions answered whenever I would ask them. I grew up in a dairy farming community, too, in Missouri. 
And it's always seemed to me that agriculture has never gotten anywhere near the respect it deserves. Do you agree? And if so, why do you think that is? I think it's getting the respect, but it never had the understanding. My listeners, and I worked at this for 60 years, I don't think fully understood how important agriculture was to a way of life for people, but what it also meant to the economy of the United States and the role that the United States could play in the world to share our bounty and uh, farmers' expertise that we had. And that's something I always did as I traveled to other countries. I remember going to China the first time and uh, I had a cameraman with me and he said, I got to get a closer shot of their sowing rice in the rice paddy. And he walked out into the water filled rice paddy, lost his shoes and we never got him back. They were gone. <laughs> Not long ago, we heard the president give the State of the Union address. And uh, I wondered if you could give us a brief State of the Family Farm address. Well, the family farm has changed a great deal because the family farm, I grew up on 200 acres and machinery that we couldn't conceive we'd ever have. But the important thing about the family farm is those families have really honed their ability to produce food we have technology today that we couldn't have dreamed of when I was growing up. We have equipment today that I couldn't have dreamed of. And thanks to the ability of the American farmer and the education of the young people in agriculture has made it possible for the United States to far and away remain the food producer of the world. Looking back on those early experiences, I'm curious uh, your thoughts about how radio has changed over the years. The technology, to be sure, I mean, back then a portable tape recorder uh, was uh, hardly portable at all. And then later it became uh, pocket-sized, and then you got into little digital things. But tell me about what you saw over those 60 years. And, of course, that doesn't count the time before that, that when you were not in Chicago radio. About all the changes you've seen and the biggest ones that you've seen. Well, the ability to do a broadcast from a cornfield in Iowa, the ability to do a broadcast from an event in England, the Royal Agriculture Show. And I would say that's the biggest change I've seen because it really allowed us to go anywhere in the world and still be on the air in Chicago. It occurs to me that, that uh, people, most people who don't have an agricultural background that they don't fully understand all that goes into a, a farm report. I don't know how many times I've had people uh, listening with me, let's say, to a farm report, ask me, what is a pork belly? <laughs> is it tough to talk to a general audience when you're talking to a specific audience that needs information, but many people listening don't, don't understand what you're saying? Well, it's an opportunity. First of all, that is the most often asked question I got. What is a frozen pork belly? And then that opened the door to give me the opportunity to talk about the technology. But a frozen pork belly, simply speaking, is bacon. During the spring, when we would come out of the winter, we would use terminology like pork belly season is here. And because people would have bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwiches, which they hadn't had during the winter, 
it's really, Jim, the most often asked question I got, what is a frozen pork belly? But it gave me the opportunity to talk agriculture. I'm sure that, that you've gotten a lot of questions from non-farm people about what it is you, you had to say, because this, this is information. Farmers needed to know what, what are the prices? Do I sell? Do I not sell? Absolutely, because the news that I would carry during our noon broadcast on WGN caused some farmers to uh, go to the telephone and call their broker or their livestock dealer and say, let's go ahead and sell some hogs. Let's go ahead and sell some cattle. At midnight, when I would go on the air by recording, I would report the number of cattle and hogs that had, by that time, arrived at the Chicago Union stockyards. And if the number of cattle and hogs were higher than expected, it would lead farmers to go to the phone and call their dealer and say, I want to sell hogs, I want to sell cattle because they don't have enough in Chicago with the stockyards to uh, bring the price that a lot of people want. And that kind of information, and again, that's a question that was asked often, why are you telling us how many hogs and cattle are at the Chicago Union stockyards? Because it would affect a farmer's opportunity to sell and maybe get a better income from the stockyards. One thing that's occurred to me, you could have easily been elected to public office. Were you ever tempted? For four days, I was in the campaign to run for the Senate. Barack Obama was the other candidate. I did give it some thought. As a matter of fact, I went down to uh, Springfield and talked to Denny Hastert, who at that time was Speaker of the House. And on the ride home with my wife, she said, don't do it. And then I called my good friend Earl Butts, who was Secretary of Agriculture at the time. And uh, I said, got a question for you. I've been approached about being a senatorial candidate from Illinois, and I just would like your advice. And he said, well, if you run for the Senate, half of the people are going to hate you. The other half are going to love you. And he said, frankly, I think you can do more for agriculture on WGN radio than you could being in the Senate. And I took his advice, and I'm glad I did. If there's one thing over the years that I have heard from the public that they don't understand about agriculture as it is practiced today is why are there agriculture price supports? Because they have been a part of our farm policy for decades, really. To grow a bushel of corn takes a pretty good amount of fertilizer and seed and fuel. The cost of producing food, the ingredients that made it possible for farmers to put a seed in the ground in April and harvest a crop in September, October because of the technology. And we have improved the seed so much. We have improved the technology and the crop protection uh, products so much. And the farm equipment has been increased and refined so much. So it's all a part of the story that you're right. The city listener probably doesn't have a reason to discuss it at the supper table, as we called it on the farm or the dinner table now. 
every urban kid should have a chance to spend at least a week on a farm. It would be very instructive. Your uh, autobiography, You Can't Dream Big Enough, wonderful title. What else is there in that autobiography that we haven't covered? I delivered that as the title speech at a commencement address at the University of Illinois at the College of Agriculture because there were a lot of farm kids in that audience. And I said, you can't dream what's possibly going to happen to you or the work you're going to be doing or the activity that you'll get involved in. I said, don't be afraid to dream. Dream bigger than you can think of dreaming because it can happen. Some of you out in that commencement area today could be president of the United States someday. You can't dream big enough. Abraham Lincoln appreciated the power of living histories as a source of wisdom and inspiration for future generations. The Lincoln Academy of Illinois was created to recognize the living histories of those who walk among us, believing, as Lincoln did, that those living histories remind future generations of the endless possibilities ahead. For nearly six decades, the Lincoln Academy of Illinois has bestowed the Order of Lincoln Medallion annually to honor the state's most distinguished citizens by birth or residence. In 1975, the Academy expanded to recognizing emerging young leaders selected by their universities. These shining stars of the future receive the Order of Lincoln Medallion as student laureates. You can read the stories of every Lincoln laureate by visiting the Lincoln Academy of Illinois.org. Please take a moment to click follow wherever you're listening. Remember, your ratings and reviews are the best way for others to discover our episodes. Executive producers for the Lincoln Laureates podcast series are Leanne Barnhart, Julie Kellner, and Dennis Lyle. Supervising producer is Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Bill Curtis. Thanks for listening. <laughs>